Welcome to Practically Political. It's great to have you as always. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Let's get to it. We've got a special guest today, Shermichael Singleton. Uh, he's been a longtime friend, and I'm a big fan of him. Uh, very prominent conservative commentator. Uh, he's an expert on African-American issues and the Republican Party reaching out. Um, and he worked in the Trump administration for Secretary Ben Carson, who is a personal hero of mine. Um, and Shermichael just has a lot of very thoughtful things to say. And he's a, I think he really fits the ethos of Practically Political. Shermichael, welcome. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's, it's great to be on with you, Carrie. Great to be on with, with Dave, who was on my radio show when I first got a SiriusXM radio show. So I'm happy to be on the podcast with you guys. Great. Well, sure, Michael, I've been just curious to get your thoughts on this 14th Amendment argument. I just got in my inbox. I'm on the press list for a number of campaigns from Vivek Ramaswamy's campaign. And he said, this is wrong. They shouldn't be doing this. The 14th Amendment was created in response to Confederate appointees. Yeah, that's correct. So actually, it was ratified uh, past 1868, and, and they're specifically discussing Section 3, which was to prohibit individuals of the Confederacy who obviously attempted to overthrow the entire government, right, from uh, holding a high elected office. So in that case, it makes perfect sense. Uh, I'm not exactly sure that one could draw the parallels to Trump in that regard, but what they're attempting to do is saying that he embedded or abetted insurrection against the United States government. I, I don't know if there's legal standing for that. I'm not certain if I would necessarily agree with that from a legal argument and from a political perspective, I would go as far as to say that it does appear from the perspective of many conservative voters as a way to usurp their right to choose who they want to be the nominee of the Republican party and to usurp their right to vote for who they want to potentially be the next president of the country. And so I think in that regard, with how divided things currently are, I think these attorneys are playing with some political flames here that they may may not completely understand. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for lawyers and I have a tremendous amount of respect for the experts uh, who are part of this. I mean, some of these guys are some of the leading scholars in terms of constitutional law in the country. Uh, but I vehemently disagree uh, with the political implications of something like this. And if they were to be successful, not only, I believe, in Colorado, I think New Hampshire or Maine, and several other states are considering such a thing. I, I just do not think it would be good if, if the appearance was that they were usurping people's right to choose who they want to vote for. We have to be very careful with these things, considering the current state of the country. I agree with you, Sir Michael. And I agree. There's two the two fronts here. There's, there's the legal front and there was an Obama appointee judge in Florida who dismissed this challenge with the 14th Amendment grounds, saying that there was no standing. So that was a very interesting ruling by, again, an Obama appointee judge. And then there's the fact, as Vivek Ramaswamy pointed out, there's precedence under, it's a case called Free Enterprise Fund versus Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, where uh, the description in the Constitution, it's, it's called an officer of the United States. It's somebody who is appointed by the president to aid him in his duties under Article 2, Section 2. So if you're an aide and you're appointed by the president, you're not the president. So it actually doesn't even apply to the president legally from a standing point. And then I agree with you, Sir Michael, that politically, this just smells to high heaven that 
if it's Trump now, who's to say it wouldn't be a Republican later? It's just it sets a very dangerous precedence, especially if you're a Democrat and you claim that you care about enfranchisement, voting rights, civil rights, that you would deny franchisement to potentially tens of millions of voters. Smells to high heaven. I don't know. What do you think, Dave? Well, anything Vivek says, I take with a grain of salt. But <laughs> putting that aside, and let's put aside also for a, for a moment, you know, whether or not th- there's legal standing here. First of all, I have one question. All these people that are bringing it up, where were you guys a year ago before Trump ran? Or frankly, where were you after January 6th during the second impeachment trial? The time to have brought this up was then. I think it would have had a lot more gravity. I think it would have had a lot more relevance to bring it up then. Now, even though I think I agree that you can make a good argument that he shouldn't be eligible to run, the point is it's too late. And it's all it's going to do is just damage the process more. Plus, there's going to be lawsuits and it's going to end up to the Supreme Court. And in defense of the Supreme Court, the closer you get to an election, the less likely a court is to try to interfere with anything that has to do with that election. So I think it's a terrible idea. And I think the timing is off. And like so many things that people have brought up against Trump, it's too little too late. But I think it should have been brought up. Now, getting back to the actual merits of the case, uh, I do think that if you look at what Trump is being sued for in these four lawsuits, even though most of us, uh, Carrie, I think is one of the few, believe that there's no question that Trump incited the, the insurrection. He was responsible for it. But if you look, that's not what he's being charged for in these cases, right? He's being charged for other things. So again, I think they have a stronger case in other areas like defrauding the American people, you know, racketeering, that type of stuff. So overall, it's too little too late. So sorry you guys weren't here earlier. And I think that we'll we'll just have to move on, but it's just yet a, uh, another chapter. But speaking about the race, I wanted to ask you, sure, Michael. I was hope, holding out this dream, this fantasy that neither Biden nor Trump would be the nominees. And I made that prediction about 15 months ago, as Carrie knows all too well. And I will admit that it's looking less and less likely that my dream will come to fruition because I think that Biden's too old. Trump, we don't even need to get into it. So the American people, frankly, deserve better. Over 70% of us want a different choice, but our, our, you know, our dysfunctional political system is cramming it down our throats anyway. So what say you? Is there any chance that uh, we might be spared either Biden or Trump? You know, Dave, I share <laughs> in your frustration uh, and maybe even anger with, with some Americans who are just tired of the entire process. But I, uh, I do believe it'll be a rematch, a 2020 rematch. And based on the polls, I mean, I think Donald Trump's approval with Republicans have steadily increased beyond his 37, 40 percent of the party uh, because Republicans are starting to realize he is likely to be the nominee. And there is a considerable amount of data and surveys that have come out over the past several months now that indicate that he actually has the best chance to beat President Biden. And now there's recent data over the past two weeks that showcase he's ahead of Biden by a couple points, depending on which poll you're looking at, of course. And so those are all very positive things. Now, it's interesting because you look, go further into that data, you look at the cross tabulations. Uh, many of these individuals who were looking for someone else other than Trump now believe he is the best person out of all of the other candidates 
to regain the White House. Now you look at some of the data regarding President Biden and Democrats are not enthusiastic. He has a serious problem, particularly with voters of color. Uh, It was interesting. I was reading an Axios article that came out the day we're recording this and it showcased that Biden standing with white Democratic voters, with white independent leaning Democratic voters, for the most part is pretty stable. When you look at voters of color, he is suffering significantly. When you look at younger voters, He's suffering significantly. He's too old. People are upset about the state of the economy, although the White House continues to say inflation is decreasing, which the data for the most part does increase. It does indicate rather that the the inflation overall has improved over the past several financial quarters, fiscal quarters. Uh, Jobs have indeed improved, but wages have an increase to meet inflation. Gas prices are indeed going back up. The, the price, the cost of living, if you're in a major city, have skyrocketed through the roof. And let alone if you're trying to buy a home. I mean, goodness gracious, I was lucky enough to buy my first home several months ago. But most of my friends who've done everything right, they went to college, they went off to get an advanced degree. They're hardworking. They're paying their bills. They're paying back their student loans. They cannot afford a home. And they're looking at President Biden and they're looking at Democrats as most of them are not conservative like myself. And they're saying, you know, they promised that these things are going to improve. They did not. I'm not voting for Joe Biden. I'm just not going to vote. And some of them, particularly the guys, have said, you know, I'm going to give Trump my support. And so there's a lot of interesting variables and phenomenon here, uh, David, to answer your question in terms of do I think there will be someone else? I don't. And I think many Americans are starting to settle with the reality that it will be Trump and Biden. And they're trying to figure out, do I vote for Trump? Do I vote for Biden? Or do I just stay home? And I think if many stay home, that's an issue uh, for Biden more so than it is for Trump. What do you think, Kerry? I agree with that. And and what's interesting is the Trump campaign did some polling. Uh, John McLaughlin uh, is a prominent pollster for Trump. And he found the buyer's remorse for Biden voters is about 7% as in people who voted for him in 2020 and regret it, compared to only 2% for Trump, people who regret voting for Trump in 2020. So I agree with Michael that the enthusiasm is so way down for Biden, and that's a big problem. Uh, And it really is the economy because, yes, uh, nominally inflation is down, but there's a metric called median CPI, which throws out the more extremes that that drag the CPI in a direction that isn't realistic. And the median CPI is actually considerably higher than the, the, the top line CPI. And that's why the real pain is there, because that's hitting the median family, the average family. So as much as, you know, Biden's spending all this money to buy an ad in the NFL debut to tout Bidenomics, I actually think that's a very tone deaf idea because I think it's actually going to backfire and, and remind people how angry they are that their 401ks are dissipating. Their overall household net worth is down by between 5,600 to seven, you know, seven or 8,000 on a median basis since Biden took office. So people are poor. They're less well off under Joe Biden. And I think that's why, uh, as you know, Sir Michael said, especially with voters of color, it's the most vulnerable people who are left behind the most because the consumer budget, uh, which is, is most affected by inflation, that hits people of color, lower income, poor white families hardest because they send, spend a bigger of their budget on consumption goods. Um, and so that's why CNN had some polling showing that uh, 
pretty much across the board, Biden's going to lose. Nikki Haley was actually the strongest. Uh, it was 49 Haley, 43 Biden. But Trump is beating Biden in CNN polling as well, 47, 46. Uh, DeSantis is tied at 47. Pence, even Michael J. Pence is winning against Joe Biden, 46 to 44. Uh, Tim Scott, 46, 44 as well. Uh, Chris Christie, 44 to 42. So bad news for Biden. And then there's also the fact that only 30% of Americans agree with what, what Biden is doing on inflation. So uh, there was an interesting little tidbit that I saw that one of Biden's biographers actually said he wouldn't be surprised if Biden did step down. So I don't know if you saw that, Dave. Well, I've, I've seen it. I've seen a lot of rumors, but let me just say, God, there's so much to unpack here. First of all, national polls really don't mean a lot because we all know it's a, it's a very closely divided country and it's probably going to come down to a hundred, maybe 200,000 votes in five states. So I wouldn't pay attention to national polls. Secondly, uh, yes, we can always talk about buyer's remorse with Biden, but you find me one person who didn't vote for Trump in 2020, who has a reason to vote for him in 24, I think those people are going to be fewer and further between than uh, Biden voters who aren't going to vote for him this time. Uh, thirdly, I hate it. Sometimes I hate being right. And we spoke we spoke on a previous show way back, Harry, about how a lot of uh, uh, Trump supporters who are now turning against him were only doing it because they thought he couldn't win. You know, forget the fact that he incited an insurrection, subverted the rule of law, tried to overturn a free and fair election, you know, on and on and on. The nativism, the grievance, all that. Though, who cares about that? But if he can't win, then we'll get rid of him. But now that he can win again, oh, well, maybe we'll, we'll bring him back on. And the final thing I would say is both parties are guilty of this. Betting on a weak horse because you think the other horse is weaker is a very iffy strategy. And that's what both sides are doing right now. And I think it's very clear that if I think Gavin Newsom could beat Donald Trump, and I think Nikki Haley and frankly, many other Republican candidates uh, could beat Joe Biden. And I would just caution the Biden administration, you know, look at the uh, votes of color. Why have black voters, why have Latino voters drifted down from Biden. This, by the way, was a trend that started last election. And these are people that Trump called drug dealers and rapists. So my message to Democrats is they're not running to Trump. They're running away from you because black and Latino voters tap are more pragmatic. They're more socially conservative. And when you're talking about kitchen table issues, as you were in 2018, they'll come and vote for you. When you're talking about the Green New Deal and defunding the police and confiscating guns and all this kind of stuff, no, they're not going to come to you. They're going to come away from you. So I think both parties are in a, in a kind of a state of panic because they're stuck with nominees that they know are very vulnerable. Sure, Michael. Do you think there's any way that any Republican at this point uh, can take Trump off the victory path for the nomination? Nope. Unless Trump by the, you know, unless Trump passed away. And, I, and I'm not saying that because I wish that upon him. I'm saying, in my opinion, that's the only way I, I could foresee anybody having an opportunity to usurp his lead. I just don't think it's, it's possible. I mean, even if you were to take everyone out and they consolidated around one particular candidate, that person would still be behind around 15 to 20 percentage points within the margin of error. So I, I just don't see a mathematical path, which is why I began to raise the idea 
of some of these candidates, most of them dropping out of the race before the year is over. Um, I, I think Republicans need to consolidate around the person who is likely to be the nominee. And with my personal issues about Trump, if it's Trump, it's like, hey, do you guys want to win or you want to lose? And in my opinion, it, it makes more sense strategically to consolidate around an individual now and work on messaging now and work on targeting and, and engagement now versus waiting until 2024 by June or, well, maybe by April, because I think that's with all of the primary caucus process is completely done. So, so I think that there are just some strategic things here that Republicans, the GOP, the RNC needs to really start to consider. We have a second debate coming up. Carrie, Dave, I think by debate three, uh, the RNC chairwoman, Ronna McDaniel, needs to sit with some of these candidates and say, look, you need to get out. You just do not have a path. And, and the party needs to start consolidating around the person who does. Yeah. And I think that if they feel there's someone else who can take Trump on, then they need to rally around that person now. And also what you're seeing, which I think, again, if I were a Republican strategist, I would in, uh, I would advise Nikki Haley's pushing this more, but you're not voting for Joe, you're voting for Kamala because Joe's not going to make it. He's going to become incapacitated. He's going to die. And the 25th Amendment, the key person for the 25th Amendment is the vice president, right? Mike Pence wouldn't go along. That's why they couldn't get rid of Trump after January 6th. But Kamala Harris would be happy to go along because she'll be the beneficiary. So I think that that's a viable strategy. And I think that the Democrats have to be really, really careful because it'd be one thing if Biden had a 55% approval rating and people thought the country were on the right was on the right track and they gave him credit for the economy. But, you know, he has a terrible approval rating. Two thirds of the country thinks he's on the, we're on the wrong track. The, the economy he gets even worse numbers. And this is a classic political political mistake that parties make. They try to argue cerebrally to address a visceral issue. The reason people don't give Joe Biden credit for the economy is because it's personal. The inflation hits people in the gut. Things they buy every day, like gas and food and purchasing power has gone down overall. That's the bottom line. That's the main reason why people are feeling it. And no happy talk that the administration can do, can wish that away. It just becomes patronizing. That's a really good point. All politics is personal and it is all local. And I agree with Shermichael that the GOP, if they want to get ahead of this, they really got to focus on those swing states that Dave mentioned, like very specific, even granular level to the county level. To the county, they have to carry, they have to, like, like I hate to interrupt, but just, just real quickly here. You know, I've worked on three presidential campaigns, Newt Gingrich, Mitt Romney, Dr. Carson. And when Dr. Carson endorsed Trump, then I was a part of that, particularly on the communication strategic side of things. And I, I can assure you that for President or former President Trump, when you look at the 2016 victory compared to 2020, and you look at the number of uh, the numbers by which Joe Biden beat Trump, it was on the margins similarly to how Trump beat Clinton in 2016. Then when you go down to the county level to become even more granular, then you start seeing, I mean, a thousand, two, three thousand votes in one county. I mean, it's crazy how close this actually is when you really dive deep into the numbers. And so from my perspective as a strategist, I'm going to all of those states that Trump won that he then lost, and I'm going to every single county, and I'm trying to figure out who are the voters we lost? How many unregistered voters are there that lean Republican that we could turn out? How many are registered but just don't vote frequently for whatever reason? And I am putting a ton of my money 
a ton of my people and, and continuous engagement with those people to turn them out because that's how he's going to win this thing. It'll be on the margins again, but that could lead to another victory. I just had to throw that in there. When you say turning out, sure, Michael, I, I think GOP's at, you know, asleep at the wheel. Turning out now does not just mean election day. It means election month or weeks because uh, conservatives are behind the times when it comes to what's happening with mail-in balloting and people wanting to vote absentee and early voting. Uh, they're rather than railing about it, they got to just wake up and realize this is the new reality. They better get to it, Carrie. They better get to it fast. Well, and let's let's face it. I don't think anyone is undecided on Donald Trump. I think people either love him or they hate him. So if again, if I were giving uh, GOP strategic advice, which no one's uh, asking me for, uh, I would say focus on getting new voters because you're not going to get you're wasting your time to try to get people that voted against him last time to vote for him this time. You'll have a much better success rate getting people that haven't voted out to vote. And so it's, it's going to be a turnout thing. And, and that's what, what worries me. I think Biden's greatest problem, frankly, is voter apathy, is there's just going to be a much lower turnout. And the other thing is we have to be careful on these elections because it's always it, whoever it's a referendum on whom, right? They're the ones that are going to lose. So in 2016, it actually ended up being more of a referendum on Hillary. So that helped Trump. In 2020, obviously, I think Trump still could have won despite COVID, but it, it was his erratic behavior that did him in. So it was a referendum on him. What could happen on the Dems is in the end, this, be, this ends up being a referendum on Biden, which is usually the way it is for an incumbent, right? And people forget that because Trump is such an outsized personality. But if that happens, then the Biden campaign is really in trouble. Well, I personally would rather have elections be referendums about policy rather than personalities, but that, that's the good old days. I guess I'm too naive to believe that's possible. But sure, Michael, I know you got to catch a flight um, and congratulations on your new home. Dave and I will wait in the mail for our invitation for the dinner party. Uh, but, but thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Yeah, no, this, this was fun, guys. And, and to your audience, please forgive me for not being on camera. I, I was supposed to be on camera. That was my intent. I ended up having to move a flight. And so I'm all over the place right now. just completely screwed up my schedule. So I just want to say that. But I want to come back, guys, uh, because I, I think in the upcoming months, we're going to see a lot of changes in this race. I also think, uh, Dave and Kerry, in terms of President Biden's age, once he begins to start campaigning more, how is he perceived when he's given speeches? Is he sometimes forgetting certain things? And I'm not saying this to make fun of the former uh, of the president. Uh, people age differently. And we all have to acknowledge that and recognize that. I had a great grandmother who recently passed away at almost 100. And when she got close to 100, we started to see some changes with her mentally. And it was just a reality that we as a family had to deal with. So millions of Americans recognize this. But they're going to ask themselves, but do I want that in the commander in chief, even if it's not a continuous thing or a constant thing? If I'm wondering it, I don't know if I have comfort, if I'm comfortable enough supporting this person. So those things will matter. I also think, Dave and Kerry, how the GOP, how effective they are in painting a vote for Biden is a vote for Kamala Harris will also be very, very key. And, and that turnout you just mentioned, Dave, and, and enthusiasm for Democrats, 
because a lot of Democrats are not excited about the vice president. They're not very fond of her. And so all of those things also, I think, will play a big part. And so you guys have to have me back to sort of break those things down as well. No, we 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 absolutely will. And I think you may you make a very good point, Sir Michael, because I do believe if everything goes as planned, in other words, there aren't any major unexpected things, I think Biden should win. And I think the economy will continue to get a little better. I think he'll get maybe not enough, but more credit. But remember, it just takes one bad fall, one major health incident, right? And all that is out Mm -hmm. the window. So at the best case scenario for Dems, it's highly, highly risky. And I think a 5% chance of Donald Trump becoming president again is too great a risk for this country because uh, our democracy is not going to be the same. And he said so. I mean, give the guy credit. He's, he says what he's going to do. There's no there's no ambiguity. So I think the Dems are walking blind without a cane. But in any way, it's been so great to have you on. And we'll definitely continue these conversations. And thanks to all of you for joining us once again on Practical Political. It's always great to have you. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. We'll look forward to seeing you next time. Yeah.